Welcome to Category 5 Technology TV, episode number 384 for Tuesday, the 27th of January, 2015. Woo. I'm Robbie Ferguson. And I'm Kelsey Jensen. Nice to see you. What's going on tonight, Kels? Not much. we got more viewer questions. Yes. Viewer question extravaganza. Woo. If I could roll my R's, I would. Yeah. Can you, can you roll no, your R's? No, I can't. That'd be amazing. Anyone here? Anybody? Extravaganza. I can barely say my R's. Let alone roll them. Okay. okay. <laughs> what I, what's going on? I can tell you that we have great news stories today. Here's what's coming up in the Category 5.tv newsroom. Adobe has released an emergency patch for its flaw in its Flash software that was being widely exploited by thieves. Kim.com has released an encrypted chat service called MegaChat to compete with the Microsoft-owned Skype. Despite being blind, an Ontario woman is able to look at her newborn son thanks to technology. Ford wants to show us that they're much more than just trucks and cars. They want to be seen as a technology innovator. Twitter is upgrading its mobile apps to let users capture, edit, and post video. And Microsoft profits fell more than 10% in the three months to the end of December from a year earlier. Stick around. The full details are coming up later in the show. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Starring Sasha Dermatis. Hilary Rumble. Krista Wells. And your host, Robbie Ferguson. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Hello. Hello. I'm Robbie. I'm Kelsey. Sasha is here too. Hello. Hi. Welcome Yay. back. Yay. You have been away. Well, we, did, we didn't know here because uh, you kind of telepresenced in through the magic of television last week. How was your trip? My trip was incredible. I saw two stingrays that were like eight feet in wing wingspan? Is so that a wingspan? So wide her hands get cut off. Oh, oops, sorry. <laughs> Oopsie. And a jellyfish. And I floated around like a noodle in the That's Caribbean cool. Sea. It was great. Nice. Happy to be back. I'll admit we had to brighten up her camera today because she's looking so dark. Yes. So we uh, had to tweak the settings there. Nice to see you. Thank you. And nice to see you at home. Uh, nice to see so many people in the chat room as well. Yeah, um, and tonight... If you're watching on the Roku platform, we've made some major changes to Roku. Now, interestingly enough, now I, I need to give a real quick update because last week we had some problems with Roku and people uh, stuck around. Thank you for sticking around after the show last week. We took about a half hour to do some diagnostics and tweaking and we were able to get things going pretty good. And then, uh, so we got, we got the settings going pretty good. It should look fairly good tonight, but then uh, later that week, I was on the, uh, the Roku forums and found out that the day prior to last week's show, Monday, it was actually announced that there was a firmware issue with the Roku platform that Thank was you. causing the problem. So, Thank you, Roku. Yeah, I mean, it happens, right? But they gave us, um, they, in that forum post, they gave us some, uh, some possible ways to, uh, to remedy it with a bit of a hack around. So we have therefore updated our channel uh, in order to support playback on Roku while working around that particular issue. So hopefully it's working fantastically well tonight. So far so good in the chat room. People saying that it looks good. Lyndon's watching from all the way down in Michigan and it's so nice to see you. Yes, welcome. And of course, Category5.tv is a member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Cat5.tv slash TPN and the International Association of Internet Broadcasters. Cat5.tv slash IAIB. Don't forget to check out our mobile website. It's m.cat5.tv. You can scan that code or just visit it in your browser on your mobile device. m.cat5.tv. Yes. Delicious. 
think. Mm. Mm. We've got tons of viewer questions tonight. So really, I mean, uh, other than saying hey to people in the chat room, and you know, I do see um, it's looking pretty active tonight. So nice to see so many people from all around the world watching live. Yes. But we've got... Uh, We've got a lot of viewer questions to get through, Yes, Mikkel. and the first one comes from... Oh, look at that. No, no time wasted. I got this, Here's guys. the first question, Robbie. First right. one is from Lyndon. Hey, Lyndon. Uh, he says, first of all, I can't tell you how much you, he loves our show. Hey, thanks, oh, buddy. That's so nice. Uh, here's his question. How do I go about setting up a home network server for media storage and streaming using Ubuntu? Or is there an episode that you could refer me to? Let's not waste any time, eh? Yeah. <laughs> First question out the gate. How do you build a server? <laughs> All right. Well, um, okay. Looking at multimedia, I, my question, and Lyndon, it's good to see you in the chat room. I'm glad that uh, that you're able to be here uh, watching from Michigan. I just yes. happened to m- mention that. Uh, so, uh, And Songbird is also joining us from Michigan as well. It's good to see you again. Um, Lyndon, what I want to know is what is it that you want to do with this multimedia server? Because I'm going to put you onto something that's rather interesting. I, I love a product called Plex. Mm-hmm. I got to admit, they don't sponsor the show. I wish they did, but I can stand b- behind them in that I'm a user of the product uh, because I've got a Roku device. So if you've, if you've got a Roku, it's a set-top box that you p- plug into your HDTV um, the Roku 2 and uh, I believe the one as well will even work with older CRT TVs. But basically it turns your TV into a smart TV and then some. Uh, but uh, with the Roku and the Plex app, which costs only 5 bucks, right. uh, it's a one-time $5 fee, you then can have any Linux machine, a Windows machine on your network. It doesn't really matter, uh, but in particular Linux. And you install the Plex server platform on that computer. And then your Roku or any other device that has Plex installed, it might be uh, an iPod or your tablet, it might be your phone. If you've got Plex installed as an app, then you can actually connect to that one computer on your network that's streaming all your multimedia. I know what you're thinking. Why does that matter? Yeah. You were going yeah. to say, why, why does it matter, Robbie? Why don't you just you know, put, put the files into your phone and be able to watch it but the the problem that people run into kelsey since you asked (laughs) i do this to her because i want want her to you know prompt me and stuff yeah um files in various formats may not work on certain devices you get a, a file that comes off of our camera is going to be this strange format that uh that an ipod doesn't recognize for example or you know it's not like an mp3 where you can practically paste it onto any device that plays mp3s and it will just play video is a whole different can of worms so you've mm-hmm. got to have what's called transcoding happening in the interim so there are a couple of ways to do that um, the old school way is to actually take all your files and convert them to another format and we saw this happen when you know everybody wanted to use Ogvorbus files for audio and then realized well none of my players can play it so i've got to convert everything back to mp3 and So you go through this conversion process. Video is very time-consuming. So if you've got a video and you want to watch it on a device and that device needs it to be a specific format, you've got to first convert it. That's a pain. It's a lot of work. So Plex, the server portion of it, connects to wherever your multimedia is, and it, in real time, on the fly, converts it so that it will play on all your devices. So if I connect to my Plex server or whatever I want to call it from my iPod, it will automatically convert it to the format that the iPod is able to play in real time. Hmm. So to me, behind the scenes, I know that that's happening, but from a user's perspective, all I'm doing is choosing the video and pushing play. Okay. If I go to my Roku and I push play, it just starts playing. I don't have to wait for this lengthy conversion process, and I don't have to have a copy for Roku and a version for my iPod and a version mm-hmm. for my phone. It's, it's going to work across all platforms. So that's where Plex comes in real nice. Okay. Does that touch on it at all, Lyndon? Does that, does that help? Now, what if it's like it's not someone who wants it to, sh- to share it with, like, the world but wants you're to not. see that Plex is your personal media server okay so you're talking a computer on your network in uh, why don't I use myself as an example it's good I'm a good example <laughs> I'm as good of an example as anyone so in my case my wife's computer Becca's computer is running Debian so mm-hmm. uh, so I installed Plex on that and we've got the Unraid server which h- houses all of our 
files. So that's got um, Category 5 TV files. It's got all of our video edits and family movies, everything like that. Uh, and, of course, anything that I've ripped from DVD as well. Mm, okay. So they're residing on that server. And so in my house, I'm not sharing it with anyone else. I'm not doing right. anything like that. Um, what I'm doing is I'm making it accessible to myself, okay. to our devices within the household. So it goes through, it basically is going through my wife's computer. So if her computer is off, Plex doesn't work. Right. It just it times out, right? Mm-hmm. It goes through her computer, connects out to the server, grabs the files, and t- converts them on the fly, makes them streamable to all of our devices. Right. It's just a convenience thing. It makes it easy for the kids, too, because they like to watch their shows and stuff. And, and we get the DVDs for Christmas and things, and I always rip them. First thing I do is I rip them, right. beca- which is to copy them to the hard drive of the server. Because uh, more often than not, you'd be amazed how many times discs get cracked. Yeah, with or kids scratching. And so I got into the habit of always rip them, and I've got a big box in the garage full of DVDs, <laughs> which eventually will go to a thrift store or something. But that's that's my story. That's how I do it. Okay. So Linda, maybe that's a good solution for you. Mm-hmm. I like the solution. It worked. It works very very well for us. Uh, so the next Thanks, question Adam. is from Michael Iowa. He Michael, was... hey, welcome. Uh, he was hoping that you could show how to install a screensaver in Point Linux that he found on a, on a website that it has a nice big clock for the screensaver, and I've got the address on here. Is it uh, a big long one? No, it's quite short. Okay. Uh, fortunately, he could not get it to work for me. Okay. For him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to bring up the URL that Kelsey's got up on her screen. Thanks for the music. Okay, so we're going to alexanderk.ru slash gluclo. Let's see if I typed it right. I did. Oh, yeah. Gluclo. Okay. So this is, a, I guess, a screensaver flip clock for... For Linux? Yeah. All right. Shall we? That Let's is try awesome. It. Let's download it. That's kind of old school, huh? Let's open the tar.gz. What do we get? We get uh, make file. So we're good. All right. That's all we need. So I'm going to extract that to my desktop. All right. Just throw it anywhere. But you need to be able to access it. So then we got to jump into terminal because this is a make file. And I'll show you, I'll show you what I mean. And what was the name of that? Gluclo? Gluclo. Okay, what was the file name there? Sorry, I missed it. Where did I extract it to? Oh, Alexander. Okay. That's the, <laughs> that's the folder name that it created. <laughs> okay, well, whatever. Okay, so there's the make file. So if I type make... What happens? No such file or directory. Okay, because we've got some dependency issues. So what I would do in a case like that is oh, there's a readme file. So let's do pluma readme, or you might have gedit or whatever it is that you have to read text files. What do you need? Okay, SDL 1.2, that's what I'm missing. So it shows us how to get that using a PPA. Oh, I guess they've got PPAs set up. What what distribution is he using? Does he mention by any chance? Because uh, if you were on Ubuntu, there are PPAs set up, um, which point. would allow you to... Oh, you're on Point Linux. Point. Forget that. Okay. Uh, how to do it in, in Debian. The instructions are there, so we're, we're fortunate here. Okay, first, here's, a, here's where what we need to do. See? To build the dependencies. So what's nice, Alexander has created the uh, the apt get command line in order to install and what we need is you know libsdl is the one that we're getting an error on so let's try it shall we robbie can you explain the difference between a make and a make file a make yeah dj quad would like you to explain make and make file the difference okay well make is the command that so a make file in linux and we don't always see this okay 
Um, notice that there is a PPA for Ubuntu users. What's a, what's a PPA? A personal package uh, archive or something. I'm not sure what it stands for, but it's, it's like a repository specific to Ubuntu okay. that is um, created by the person who creates the software. So with a PPA, like any repository, it's easier in a way, because all you have to do is just type those three commands, sudo apt key, or apt add, so you add the repository, you update apt, and then you install Gluclow. That's so easy, right? But unfortunately, there is no repository, it doesn't look like, for Debian, which is, of course, what Point Linux is based on. Mm -hmm. So Point Linux falls into the Debian category, so we have to do it a little bit more manually by installing the dependencies first, and then we've got the source, and that's where the makefile comes in. So the makefile allows us to now compile the software from source into something that's executable. Right. So the makefile is really the, it's the command structure that tells make what to do in order to compile the software. Joel NNH says, make, make is a program for building other programs, and makefile is the instructions to, for make to use to build a file. Almost an echo. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. So, thanks for the comment. All right, let's, let's copy that line because this is for Debian. And what we're doing here <laughs> is, just to explain it to those who don't know, sudo is to become a super user. apt-get is the program that we use to install things on Linux. install is the command. And then this is the big long list of all the things that we want to install. So build essential, libsdl, uh, a couple of different uh, true type font support, all that kind of stuff. So if I paste that command, oh, and I just closed the file, and so I lost the paste. Let's do it again. Copy, and new terminal window. How's that? Notice that sudo is super user do, so it's requiring my super user password, and then it goes through. And do you want to install this? This is good. It means that the packages exist. I didn't get any error messages. Yes. You want to continue? Yeah. Be careful of that. Um, because we are kind of making an assumption that this guy's, you know, that the command that they're giving us is safe. Yeah. What I watch for when I do an apt-get install or anything like that is, is anything going to be removed from my system? So right. watch um, if apt tells you that it's going to remove something like GTK. Then we're not gonna. That wouldn't then be we're good. Gonna just stop it. Yeah, you might want to say no at that point. So yes. it's going through, and it, what it's doing now here is it's grabbing the dependencies which were preventing us from being able to um, to make from the make file. While we're waiting for that to happen, let's actually take a look at the make file. Uh, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> there you go. So you see what it is? It's basically a, an installer script or something that shows make, the software that makes applications, compiles them. Uh, not, it's not a compiler, but just to put it in the lay speak, uh, it's using G++, that's the compiler. Uh, and it just tells it what to do. Hmm. There you go. It's very interesting. It's working its way through the, rep uh, through the dependencies, getting those all from repositories. See, I didn't have to make them. Yeah. It's getting those from the Debian repositories, nice yeah. and easy. That's, that's helpful. Triggers. It's almost done. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Now it's oh got my. more. Oh, my goodness. There's so many. This is, some this is a pretty impressive <laughs> clock. It requires all this stuff. How much space did that take up on my drive? Oh, I don't no really idea. know. Okay, but it's done. Yeah. All right, so let's jump back here and let's see. Does it make now? Make. Oh, it well, did it. Yeah. No error that time. Remember? First yes. time I did it. Said no such file or directory. Next time, it just returned me back to the prompt. So now if I type make install, what happens? Cannot create regular file. Uh, user lib x screensaver gluco. Why? Permission duh. Enied. <laughs> so, okay, well, why is that happening? Because I'm not super user. So for make install, because it needs access to slash user slash lib slash x screensaver, which I a normal user, not root, do not have access to, I need to use super user do to become a root mm -hmm. user. All right? So by typing sudo make install, 
If all goes well, it's going to ask me for my password. That's pseudo doing that. And then what happened? It worked. It didn't give me any error messages, right? So what's next? Okay, let's look at their website. We've got it installed. So we know that it's installed. Now, do we have X Screensaver installed? Let's try. What's the command for X Screensaver? Let's find out. User bin X Screensaver, hit tab, and that's what I got. Let's see. It's fun learning together, isn't it? <laughs> this is very interesting. Well, let's see what we can come up with here. Do we have screensaver settings in point? There we go. Do we get our new clock? I don't see it anywhere. Nope. Well, we got far, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Let's look at the readme. What's next? So we're going to go Pluma is what we're using on Point Linux. Next up, okay, we've got it working, and this is the same text that's on the website, so let's mm -hmm. read it. If you want to use Gluco as a screensaver, you need to remove GNOME screensaver, which we don't have. We're on Mate, so it might be Mate screensaver. Nowadays, it just does nothing. Install X screensaver. So let's see if we actually have X screensaver. Let's do a sudo apt-get install x screensaver. We don't. That's why. Okay, mm. So we do have some x screensaver executables, but we don't have screensaver, uh, x screensaver installed. It's the following saying that it's packages a new will package, be removed. Right? It says the following packages will be removed. Where do you see? Yeah, the following packages are going to be removed. Point Linux mate core. Yikes. Oh, good call, Kelsey. See? <laughs> Whoa, drop the pen. She just saved your butt. She, she saved our butt. Because yeah. that's exactly what I was saying, Kelsey. You got it. The following packages will be removed. Mate core, that is your GUI, the, the interface to allow you to access. It's oh. called a desktop environment. Ah, you'd lose all that. But what's worse, you would also lose Point Linux Mate Desktop. The whole... GUI of your Point Linux would break. Ah. So. Hmm. What other options do you have, eh? Screensaver preferences. Yeah. I would have to, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to take a whole show to try to figure out how can we get X screensaver working on uh, on Mate if the chat room has any suggestions on how you might get around that. But isn't that interesting? So we got it to install, but we can't actually set it as a screensaver. Because bad things... We're going to say no to that. Yeah. No, we'd lose our desktop completely. Yeah. So what a mess that would be. Huh. Guarantee you there's a way. Oh, yeah. We learned a couple things today, though. Yes. What to watch out for when you're doing an app get install. Mm -hmm. Way to go, Kels. Yeah. Yeah. Learning things. So I would say with that, uh, um, to me, it becomes not worth the hassle at that point. But to you, uh, you know, uh, do they have any support? Let's see. Do they have any support? It really doesn't look like it. However, is it a Twitter account? Or is that just to tweet it? No. Oh, yeah, just to tweet just it. Just to tweet it. Just to tweet it. Um. Does GitHub have support for it? Contributors. So there's Alexander. So perhaps you could reach out to him on by email. That's what I would do. I would say, you know what? At that point, I'm going to email him and say, you know, can can I run this some other way? Mm -hmm. I'm not. I'm not a screensaver guy by any means at this point. I don't even use a screensaver. Burning ain't a problem anymore, so. Yeah. I like the clock. Yeah. All right. All right. Well. So I don't have a complete answer for you, but a partial answer to get you some other things. Yeah.
got it Good pretty far. Yeah. Uh, so the next question comes from Andy C. He says his problem is yeah. that he isn't able to make the show work on the website. Um, make anything on your website play either on the browser, on the TV, or on an Android tablet. It seems to work okay in my Linux Mint 17.1 PC, though. Can you suggest a good platform you stream on live that might work? That was a very weirdly worded question. So you can't get it to work on your Android tablet? You should be able to bring up the mobile site m.cat5.tv. Let's see if I can do it here. m.cat5. Safari crashed. Oh. Good old iOS. Oh, yeah. Okay, M dot... I didn't even get to type it. Cat5 dot TV. And this is why we go Android. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Android all the way. It's got Wirecast cam. That's, <laughs> that's the only selling point. Okay, on the mobile site... And, and they're watching live, right? Yeah, they're, they're trying to watch live from England. Here you go. This is the this is part of the mobile site, anyways. You see that? Watch live Android BlackBerry should work. If it doesn't, now one of our viewers was mentioning that uh, that they had trouble with that. So if you do, you can hold in on it and open it in your browser instead, uh, or perhaps copy it into VLC. Uh, because you're on Android, you may have a, a multimedia player, so you can copy that link. And, uh, and paste it into VLC, mm-hmm. and that will hopefully get you around it. How else can you watch? Live.cat5.tv on Roku. your computer. Roku is definitely the way to go, I think, especially if we got things licked with that bug that they had this past week. Live.cat5.tv. Let's go there. This is going to be trippy. Hey! Oh. <laughs> okay, so uh, there's a couple things that you can... Yeah, that's that's one. That's the, probably you know a great way to do it through your computer, right? That's Whoa, so that's, that's so, so weird. This is so weird. I can't. Whoa, there's like three of them right now. <laughs> oh my god! You guys see that? Can you see that out there, Adam? Oh my when gosh! Yeah. Wow. We're we're whoa. Hey. Ah. Uh, oh. uh, <laughs> she's never actually. She's never seen herself. Not like on that. TV. <laughs> on live TV. This is the first time she's ever seen herself on live TV. Yeah. Um, so that's one way. And how else can we do it? Cat5.tv. Category5.tv. Let's see. When we are live, if you go to our website, Category5.tv, you'll see there are a couple of options here as well. Listen right? live. Listen live. You can listen with the Category5 radio. System. So, a couple of different ways. And of course, get into the chat room, Category 5 on Freenode, and uh, people there will be more than happy to help you get things working, I think. So. Yeah. Lots of options. Thank you for inquiring on how to watch. I just realized you're probably unable to see this, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the next question is from DJ Quaid. I think that's right. Quaid? DJ Quaid? Yeah, okay. sounds right to me. Yeah. Quad, DJ Quad. Quad. DJ Quad? I don't know. We'll call him Douglas Quaid. <laughs> Two weeks. Hey, can I interrupt DJ Quad and his question for the news? Listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so bored over here. Can we do my show now? <laughs> oh, Sasha. Any listen. chance? Okay. <laughs> oh, Although, yes. DJ Quad, I do love you. <laughs> Oh, here we go. It's Tuesday, January 27th, 2015, and here are the stories we're covering this week. Adobe is trying to keep up with hackers who are repeatedly exploiting security flaws in their Flash software. An encrypted chat service is launching amid a controversial proposal in the European Union. Despite being blind, an Ontario woman is able to look at her newborn son thanks to technology. Ford wants to be seen as a technology innovator with its new center in Silicon Valley. Twitter is bringing 30-second video clips to the timeline. And Microsoft is reporting a more than 10% loss in revenue. These stories are coming right up. Don't go anywhere. 
Depending on where you're located in this big old world of ours, you may remember it as either the Sega Mega Drive or the Sega Genesis. And now, more than a quarter of a century after its original release in Japan, it's more convenient than ever to take these classic Sega games with you. My review is coming right up, so stick around. Try it. Buy it. I'm Sasha Dermatis, and here are the top stories from the Category5.tv newsroom. Adobe has released an emergency patch for a flaw in its Flash software that was being widely exploited by thieves. The patch stops the flaw being exploited on some versions of Windows, Apple, and Linux operating systems. In addition, it is investigating reports that another previously unknown flaw is being used in a popular cybercrime kit sold online. The kit is favored by gangs who use malicious programs that demand a ransom after it encrypts important files. This particular exploit can be used to scramble files and demand a ransom, seek out banking details, or hijack ads on website on web pages as people browse. Adobe said it hoped to produce a patch for this other flaw this week, as the latest emergency patch did not fix it. So, Robbie, does that mean that they're actually selling a kit for thieves online? I, Not necessarily can... even selling. I mean, sometimes it's available for free. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like kits. So somebody figures out how to create these exploits, and then they release a kit that allows non-hackers, we call them script kitties or whatever, to create viruses, malware, and things based on those exploits. So if I've determined, hey, you can hack by um, accessing through Adobe Flash... Here's a kit that allows other people to do the same just by clicking a checkbox. Wow. So that's, that's like the bad guys being cooperative and sharing. sharing They're collaborating. The- <laughs> yeah. Collaborating. Wow. Well, that is bad that's news. <laughs> All right. Well, way to go, Flash Adobe. Internet entrepreneur Kim.com has released an encrypted chat service called MegaChat to compete with the Microsoft-owned Skype. Announcing the launch of the beta version of his MegaChat service, Mr.com said the video calling would gradually be followed by text chat service and video conferencing. The news came as it emerged a top EU official wants companies to be required by law to hand over encryption keys. The EU counterterrorism coordinator proposal follows a similar call by Prime Minister David Cameron. In a document leaked by the Civil Civil Liberties Group State Watch, Gilles de Kirchhoff said encryption increasingly makes lawful interception by the relevant national authorities technically difficult or even impossible. Mr. Cameron said earlier this month that he wants internet firms to allow government to view encrypted messages in order to aid the security services. Mr. Dot com. (laughs) <laughs> I kind of smirked as soon as you said that. I'm yeah. like, did anyone ever expect that we'd be saying Mr.com yeah. about someone? Wow. Questions, comments, thoughts, concerns about that. <laughs> Mr.com. <laughs> Other than that, I kind of like that he's um, coming up with Skype-related, like, I guess, um, competition. I it's like crazy that. crazy the government is cracking down on encryption saying, oh, we need access. Mm-hmm. And, you know, here we've got other people and companies that are trying to create encrypted methods of us communicating. Like, mm-hmm. people maybe don't realize how insecure something like email is. So, you know, sometimes I'll have it happen where someone will email me a credit card number and I'm like, no, don't do that ever. <laughs> there are probably a thousand people reading that same email that before it even gets to my inbox because it's unencrypted. Yeah. So it's basically like a plain text that I'm passing along and anyone who sees it as it goes by can read. So if he's going to create a chat service that is encrypted, hypothetically that means that people can't eavesdrop, which right. means... Government course, can't eavesdrop and figure out what you're up to. The government can't. And then they step in and say, we can't have that now because what if there's terrorist activities going on or being coordinated mm-hmm. through this platform? Legitimate concern, of course, but where do you draw the line as far as privacy goes? Mm-hmm. Right. That's I don't my know. Thought. Oh, yeah. this is the best news story I've read in a long time. Kathy Bates suffers from a disease that robbed her of most of her eyesight. 
but thanks to technology called eSight glasses, she's able to count her son's digits and see his smiling face. The glasses are essentially goggles equipped with a camera and LCD screens. Though somewhat bulky, the glasses fit over the wearer's face where the screens transmit visual information in real time. Bates' sister, Yvonne Felix, is also blind. She and Taylor West, a spokesman for the company that makes the eSight glasses, join us to share how the technology works. So essentially what eSight does uh, is enhance functional vision for people that, have, uh, legal, that are legally blind or have what's called low vision. To do that, uh, what we use is a camera that sits right over the bridge of the person's nose. Um, and we, through that camera, we capture a high-definition video that we're able to enhance in certain ways to make that video more palatable to someone's eyes uh, so they get more information through the eye to the brain. Uh, the result is uh, what wasn't there for someone that's legally blind with their natural eyesight uh, becomes visible when they use eSight. I have something called Stargardt's disease. 98% uh, of my vision centrally is missing and within the 2% of the visual field peripherally that I have left, it sort of looks like it's been washed out, so there are, are limitations to the detail and the depth and the distance that I can see. In terms of what the technology does, is it actually gives me central vision. So without it, I would just see a big blind spot, but with it, I can actually see faces. I can see, um, you know, further away. I'm able to uh, centrally you know, have functional vision just like you or anybody else that, you know, basically it brings me from 2,400 vision, which means what you see at 20 feet, 400 feet away, I need to see at 20 feet. It sort of levels the playing field and brings me to, um, you know, the same sort of level. So I'm able to read again. I'm able to see far distances, see faces and interact with people. Right away, there is magnification. And what that does is it brings objects uh, right to my face. So it times it uh, like it's a one boy time, 1.5 times magnification. So if, for example, if I were to look over at Taylor without the eyewear, just his head would be missing. But with the eyewear on, I'm able to see his eyes and his nose and his mouth. So he's, he's very close to me. Um, so right away, I'm able to get that close up. I'm able to see definitions and then I'm able to control the contrast, so how much lighting I get. I'm able to define things. I'm able to, uh, you know, there's an autofocus, but I'm able also to manually focus. So I sort of have control of how the environment is coming into my eyes. Wear this in my purse. I can also plug this into my computer. I can plug it into a TV. So anything there where there's a screen involved, I can sort of plug it in and I can... Um, use the eyewear as my screen. So it's completely mobile, uh, but it also allows me to sort of plug in digitally to media if I need to see it, like an iPhone or an iPad as well. Sure. So you said it's been available for about a year, and we're available in both Canada and the U.S. at the moment. Um, we're always looking to reach out to the blind and uh, low vision community to make sure that people are aware that this is an option as something that can help them. Uh, if anyone's would like to know more about eSight, uh, we'd love to answer your questions. Uh, they can either visit Yvonne's uh, microsite where uh, her sister Kathy's video is posted, which is makeblindnesshistory.com, or they can uh, go to our company's website where lots of information is posted, and that's eSightEyewear.com. According to the eSight website, the Canadian-made glasses are the only innovation of its type anywhere in the world that allow the legally blind to actually see. Though eSight aren't covered by Ontario's healthcare program, the company does have fundraising initiatives in place to help those who could benefit from a pair. For Bates, the glasses are priceless. She says, holding her son, when I got to see his smile, it does feel amazing incredible heartwarming awesome use of technology i love it i love yeah. it. i think that's so cool oh. it's just it's wonderful just, yay technology yes yeah. <laughs> way to go for doing something good for once <laughs> holy crap <laughs> i i just if we could keep going along this this route where we're really helping to like enable people that are limited in ways you know, become more free with either hearing or sight or walking. 
I mean, there was just the the um, self-lacing shoes on last week's news story, maybe yeah. two weeks ago. And we've I at love the it. Beltone first uh, hearing the aids. The Beltone, well. exactly. Um, similar kind of idea, oh. improving the quality of life. So incredible! All right. Ford wants us to show that they're much more than just trucks and cars. They want to be seen as technology innovators. The Detroit automaker has long had a friendly relationship with technology. What with its sync infotainment platform, its support for third-party apps, and its investment in autonomous vehicles. But with its new research and innovation center located in Palo Alto, Ford is hoping to accelerate its relationship with technology even further. The new center isn't Ford's first venture into Silicon Valley, but it is a much bigger effort with a former Apple engineer at the helm, with significant experience in consumer electronics, semiconductors, aerospace, and automotive tech. Ford hopes to build a team of 125 professionals, which would make the company one of the largest dedicated automotive research teams in the Valley. Some of the projects that are already underway include collaborations with several universities and technology companies such as Google's Nest. You can, for example, set it so that the smart thermostat automatically switches your house to away mode when the vehicle leaves the driveway and have it flip back to normal mode when you're back home. The Nest Protect smoke detector can even send an alert to your in-car dash to let you know if something's wrong at home. Modular upgrades are also in the works. Instead of having to buy a new car to get the latest technology, you could just go to a dealer and have them swap out a hardware module. The module would contain just the core parts, like the processor, memory, and storage, leaving your dash screen and controls untouched. While the ideas are interesting, Ford is hardly the only automotive company dabbling in tech. Rivals like BMW, Mercedes, and Toyota have been in the Valley for some time. It's definitely not the only one tackling autonomous vehicles and some of its tech like Active Park Assist. Still, that's the idea behind the new facility, to develop technologies that will move forward not just newfangled ideas like self-driving cars, but the customer experience in general, which would make driving probably safer. <laughs> sure it would. <laughs> yeah. I like you... the modular idea. Mm-hmm. That's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. So you could really upgrade any car. I just, I think that um, driving is definitely one of those things where the more help you get with it, the better. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so way to go forward. Um, Twitter is doing a massive upgrade as well. Twitter is upgrading its mobile apps to let users capture, edit, and post videos up to 30 seconds in length as the social service looks to keep pace with rival Facebook as well as offer an alternative to YouTube for brief clips. Twitter Director of Product Management Jinan Kamdir said in a blog post, We designed our camera to be simple to use so that you can capture and share life's most interesting moments as they happen. In 30 seconds or less. As we know, Twitter is so good at letting people share their most interesting (laughs) moments. Yeah. (laughs) The idea is able to add short video clips to any Twitter conversation with just a few taps. According to Twitter, their 30-second video feature will complement Vine's six-second long looping clips. Robbie, I'm yeah. worried about people's um, inability to stop themselves and think, should I share this? <laughs> <laughs> Great. We got a 30-second video of the hamburger now. Lovely. <laughs> it totally sounds like a Vine ripoff to me. Oh, yeah, 100%. I was thinking of the entire thing. It's like, that. that's literally Vine. It's a, a longer, longer. It's a longer it's version not the of same. Vine. We've made it three times as long. You know where I think this could be helpful, though, is that Twitter.com slash search is it's become, at least for many of us, uh, a, a news source. It's mm-hmm. our, our place to get up to the second news. If you yeah. want to know, you know, if you're heading out in a snowstorm, what did we do? When we had that snowstorm, and if, the, if you watch Backstage Pass, you know we had a, a doozy of a snowstorm that Sasha got stuck in. I got <laughs> home. But, uh, you know, the, the first thing that we did was we checked Twitter. We use the Barry hashtag and we check what's the mm-hmm. weather. And I said, you know, make sure you avoid Bayfield Street because it's bad. So that didn't help you. But. No, it didn't help me at all. When it comes to news <laughs> stories and, and as it happens, news, which is what Twitter has become, is not just communication, but news. 
doesn't it make sense that I should be able to post a quick video really, really simply from the app of the accident? Of, but then it's yeah. a whole new danger. Exactly. As I'm driving by. and <laughs> Now everybody can Come be on. a rubbernecker. It's... Unless Ford comes up with a technology where your car is driving itself. We need and to then collaborate just... like the hackers. <laughs> I see. Then you wouldn't be watching an accident because all of the accidents would be completely avoided. Yeah. And then oh, you day. get the the eSight glasses and can see it on the screen. Oh, yeah. I don't think this is going to help in a whiteout. In a movie scenario, this could actually work. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. right. Some sad news for Microsoft today. Microsoft profits fell more than 10% in the three months to the end of December from earlier this year. Um, Or from the year earlier, sorry. They reported a net income of $5.86 billion dollars down 10.6% on the same quarter in 2013. The results included a $243 million charge for reorganizing the firm party due to the purchase of Nokia's phone business, which Microsoft bought in 2013. So, you know, that's a pretty big purchase, reorganizing. (laughs) Um, At 26 $0.5 $0.5 billion, Microsoft sales for the quarter were better than financial analysts had expected. Microsoft was helped by strong sales of its Xbox games console over the holiday season, having sold 6.6 million consoles during the quarter. Revenue from the licensing of Windows fell 13% in the last quarter of 2014 compared to the previous year. Microsoft is hoping the coming release of Windows 10 will boost its software division. I have a hard time feeling sorry for Windows when those numbers are so incredibly positive. 6.6 billion people just bought a game console. Kind of awesome. Yeah. (laughs) I I think, and I I wonder why this doesn't come up in the news as well. I mean, we're comparing to last final quarter 2013. Yes, that is correct. Final quarter 2014. But remember that in April of 2014, Windows XP was deprecated. So what's everybody doing in the final quarter of 2013? They're buying all new computers for in time for Christmas, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, all the stores have their blowouts. Mm -hmm. And so is it really an accurate comparison? Can we really say that they're down 10%? Well, no, they were. Were they up? I don't know. But I would think they would have been up because... Right. Of the whole Microsoft Windows XP. They're down, I guess, from their projected earnings. Is that? I think. But are those earnings based on the previous? Yeah, it's complicated and it does twist it and spin it in a sort of negative way, but they really are doing quite well. (laughs) Sasha, if I can just back up a little bit. um, Sorry, if that's the end Mm -hmm. of that story. It is. I want to step on stories, but um, chat room just mentioned that uh, Twitter actually acquired Vine, which is interesting. As we oh. think about as a competitor, so are, are they actually it's not a competitor? It's not a, really a competitor. It's a hey, we're doing a you did a thing, cool. We're going to do the same thing, but we're the same yeah. company. So hey, they actually bought it back in October 2012, according <sighs> to Wikipedia. So that I'm just out of the loop with Vine because I'm not really into yeah. six second videos, but. Well, you don't have to be into six-second videos now. Now you can have 30-second videos. There you go. Wow. Well, Twitter, way to make a smart business move. I feel like Twitter's playing chess a little bit. (laughs) Awesome. Now, for all your tech news with a slight Linux bias, visit the Category5.tv newsroom at newsroom.category5.tv. For the Category5.tv newsroom, I'm Sasha Dermatis. Thanks, Sasha. This is Category 5 Technology TV. You'll find our website right there, www.category5.tv. And uh, thanks for joining us tonight. This is a viewer question extravaganza. Yeah! Where we uh, jump into the mailbag, and uh, we've got a lot of viewer questions tonight, so we're just going to get through as many as we possibly can. Without further ado, what's our next question? It's from DJ Quaid. DJ Quad. Quad. We tried to get to before. We established that just before the news. <laughs> uh, he says he's going to, to be to be deploying about four servers for a high, very high bandwidth slash database driven site. Yeah. He was planning on minimal installs with LAMP, but his question is: from a server standpoint, does it really matter what distro it is? He was planning on either CentOS or Debian. 
So we got multiple servers to run this system. Yes. It's running LAMP, which is Linux, uh, Apache, MySQL, mm-hmm. or MariaDB. Also starts with M. Yeah. And PHP. So hence the LAMP stack. Um, from a server perspective, CentOS versus Debian, really it boils down to, uh, to a matter of preference. CentOS, of course, being RPM-based. Debian, you guessed it, Deb-based. Right? Yeah. So it, it boils down to uh, what do you prefer? Are you more comfortable with a, a Red Hat style distro or a Debian style distro? Personally, apt-get is my uh, repository manager of choice. So uh, I would lean toward Debian. I'm not a CentOS guy because I'm not a Red Hat, a Red Hat guy. Um, so that's where I would lean. But again, it's a matter of preference. I know, I know techs that swear by CentOS and that's what they love they're all Linux and they're all they're just different packages on top of Linux so play around and see what ones you really like um, we don't really have a lot of info about what DJ Quad is doing but yeah. find out if anyone's doing something similar and if there are programs or applications server side that are required in order to achieve what you want to do and if that's so Try to get into the forums and find out, will it run better on a particular platform? Or is there a specific platform that is more widely supported? We use Point Linux here, for example, and when we hit a snag like we did tonight with X Screensaver, well, Point Linux, the community is fairly small, but we know that it's a Debian-based distro with Mate. But Mate is pretty small because everyone's got GNOME 3. Mm-hmm. Mate being a fork of GNOME 2. So... So we lose out on the community aspect a little bit, but we love the distro. So is, is what you're doing, is it going to work better as far as community involvement, community support goes on one, I seriously just threw my pen, uh, <laughs> on one particular uh, um, platform? That's what I would look at. So, but if it was up to me, I'd say go Debian. Mm-hmm. Robbie likes Debian, apparently. I do. <laughs> I, I love Debian and Debian-based Distributions. I was a, an Ubuntu guy for a long time. Now I really like Point Linux. Uh, Zorin OS is great. Debian Core, the actual Debian distro. That's what I run at, at, on my desk at work. Uh, that's what my wife runs at home. So uh, that's just the way I roll. Rolls with Debian. Yeah. <laughs> All right. On to All the right. next one. Yeah, I All think right. so. Thanks for the question, eh? Um, so Greg Franks. went to a site that has a video and he got this message when trying to watch the video please import api modules underscore all.js in order to use api another one said the video you were trying to watch is using the http live streaming protocol which is only supported in ios devices uh then he lists the site name and he goes when i guess he's wondering like how to what happens how do we get that going? Is yeah. this Point Linux as well? Yep. Look at this. We're becoming the Point Linux show. Yeah. That's fine. I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. Uh, let's see. I'm going to bring up your question. I'm bringing up your email on my screen. Yeah. And that Greg one Franks. came to us from Greg. Yes. So that I can go to the link. So it's a news TV channel. Is that an I or an L? It's an I. I24news.tv. Okay. So when I click on TV, like you say, what happens? It's actually it's working just fine on, on here. And I'm on Point Linux. So there you have it. So, but I'll tell you what. I got this email just a, a, a couple days ago. Yeah. And when your email came in, Greg, I, I think that they've fixed it. And your error message, if, uh, what, I, what I've done and what I did when this came in, now I've paused this so that we're not actually running um, video off of cable TV, but it's, it's kind of cool. So I looked at the source here and did a quick search for video, and I noticed that they're using Brightcove. And the Brightcove player is going to use HTML5, but it's going to roll back to Flash if you have the Flash player installed. Mm. Now, Chrome or Chromium uses a different thing called Pepper, and it's not quite Flash, and it's, it allows you to watch Flash videos. And So it, it seemed that Chrome was just 
not working with the way that they had deployed it because they had an error and they actually had an error in their code. I think they've fixed it. So can you confirm that for me, Greg, that they've actually got that going? And I appreciate the question and it's, you know, it's unfortunate that they've fixed it because I yeah. would have loved to actually show you um, what the problem was, but it had to do with their code itself. Let me know if it doesn't work now, because maybe my install is different than yours. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, though, on the computer that I did test it on, uh, and it is working just fine on our, our system here, um, on that computer, it was uh, I just switched over to Firefox, which had the actual Adobe Flash plugin, and it fixed it. Thanks for the question, Greg. Another one for me? Yeah. Do you have another question? I have more questions. Give me more. Okay. This is from Neil Pert. Hey, Neil. He wants to know, what do you use for online banking? Windows with a particular browser and plugins, Linux with a certain browser, live CD Linux, or some sort of visual, virtualized OS setup? What do you use Chrome. for your online banking? Chrome? Chrome. Any reason for that or just because that's like the Chrome. browser you have? She likes Chrome. I like Chrome. I like it. It works. <laughs> Google told me I like it, so I like it. It's not a bad system. Yeah. I use Password Box. You use Password Box for your online banking, so that yeah. gives you the ability to log in a little bit easier. Easier. For sure. Now and then using... on, Password Box has a browser section where you can search things securely in the browser as well. Sure. Now, what uh, what kind of browser are you using? What platform? That's weird the... that I don't know the answer to that. Windows, Linux? Uh, what is on my phone? Android? Android. Oh, you're using it on your phone? Yeah. Oh, okay. I only have a phone. That's really. a little different. Okay. Uh -huh. Well, there you go. So that's that. So, and what do I do? Well, I admit that I am very old school, but I know where your your question isn't really. You know, what does Robbie do for online banking? Oh, let me tell you. And here's my <laughs> pin. And, and no, it's not. That's not your question. I'm old school. I really am. I don't use an. I, I don't use an ATM. Like I really? wait. I I do my banking during business hours, and I walk in and I stand in line and I deal with the people behind the desk. And I think... Is there still a line? There is still a line, yes. <laughs> still a line. And it's usually, it's the old gal that uh, that wants to, you know, deposit the pennies and stuff and they got to roll them and you know, all that. So you got to wait for that. Um, but uh, I think that that stems because my dad was a bank manager when I was a kid. And I remember when ATMs came in and there was this whole thing. And being a tech guy, of course, you think, oh, well, you're probably just scanning your checks and just putting them in from your phone. But... Having with that being my background and realize, and when ATMs came in, there was the whole kerfuffle over people losing jobs. So oh. me personally, I think that affected me and made me think, you know, I'm going to stand in line and support the jobs of the people who work here and, and realizing that. But when I, when I, when we do use online banking, because my wife does the banking for me, bless her heart, uh, we're on Linux. No special kind of virtualization platform or booting up from a live CD because we're not hacking the bank site. Just logging in and, and doing... We're not using Tor to do our online banking. Uh, but the uh, reason that we tend to use Linux at home and, and uh, pretty much on any of our devices, pretty much, I mean, we have Windows on the laptop and Windows on the broadcast server because mm -hmm. we have to for certain applications. But um, we use Linux because of the fact that it is uh, less prone to having things installed that are called spyware that mm. monitor tra transactions and monitor uh, keystrokes, things like that. Yeah. You can still get those things, but you're probably less apt to get them, especially um, you know, in an environment where, you know, like our, our computers, we've got logins for the computers and I'm the root user. So I'm the one who can install things, mm -hmm. which really, you know, gives me an unbelievable <laughs> amount of power. <laughs> But it keeps people safe, and then we don't yeah. have to worry about those kinds of things getting installed. So we just use Linux with whatever browser is in there. Usually it's Chrome. Just don't Chromium. use it on a public network. That's not a good idea. No. No. Bad. And just, you know, be, be, watch out. You just got to watch out for phishing scams is really the big one these days. Getting emails from your bank. Don't ever click a link in an email from your bank. Because it's probably not from your bank. Yeah. So if 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 I if I deal with Royal Bank, for example, here in Canada, and I get an email that looks like it's from Royal Bank, and I and it says to click a link to log in, no, just go to the Royal Bank website and log in normally and see if it's true. PayPal, you get the same thing. I've had mm -hmm. PayPal emails come in that look completely legit. Click here to log in, 
because somebody you authorized a payment. Well, so I went to PayPal.com. I logged in. So no, there's no payment that they describe in that email. It was a phishing scam to yeah. try to get me to log into a fake PayPal site uh, and thereby exposing my username and password to the the script kitties. Oh boy! So that's what you got to watch out for more than anything. Mm-hmm. I can't believe that uh, it's eight o'clock already. Yeah. Time's up, folks. Thank you so much for sending in your questions. Kelsey, how can they get more questions into our inbox? They can go and email us at Category 5. Just an email, folks. You can actually go to our website, category5.tv, click on uh, Interact and Ask a Question. But live at category5.tv gets it to us as well. Or join us in the chat room during a live show, Category 5 on Freenode. Adam, thanks for being here. Leah, I know you're there somewhere. Thanks for being here. And Kelsey, Sasha, and you at home. Thanks, everybody, for being here this week. And we'll see you next Tuesday night. Erica Lalonde is going to be here. We've got an amazing show for you. So don't miss it. That's Tuesday night. At 7, as always. Take care. See ya. Bye. We hope you enjoyed the show. Category 5 TV broadcasts live from Barrie, Ontario, Canada every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern. If you're watching this on demand or through cable TV, check out the local showtimes in your area at Category5.tv and find out when you can watch live and interact in the community chat room. Category 5 is a production of Prodigy Digital Solutions and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution 2.5 Canada. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. 